First, want to welcome a group that is here from Louisiana. They are, uh, they've been in Arlington this week and going to be here all week uh, on their spring break mission trip. Uh, they're sitting over right, right over here. They're all from Nichols State. So uh, y'all, y'all give them a little welcome. <clears throat> their, uh, their college pastor, Jonathan Lafleur, is uh, one of my buddies. We, uh, I think we first met in seminary at New Orleans, and uh, then we've just kind of gotten to know each other through years. And, and uh, networking college ministry, but he's a stud. His, uh, his whole family's a stud family, so they've, they've uh, led a lot of people to Jesus and, and uh, helping, helping a lot of people learn how to follow Jesus, so he's carrying on that legacy. Y'all ready to do this tonight, Colossians part two? All right, so a couple weeks ago, uh, I, was asked, <laughs> uh, I was asked to sit on a dating panel for, uh, about, why are y'all laughing at that? I don't get it. Uh, for a, a group of about 30 women my age, and I was gonna, that was going to be about me and four other people. Uh, there was going to be an older married guy, a younger married guy, uh, a guy that was engaged in myself. Uh, and it was very interesting. You're laughing, honestly, when they asked me to do it, I laughed too. I was like, why the heck are you asking me to be on a dating panel? That doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, but it was, it was absolutely terrifying. Uh, they, they sent the questions ahead of time, most of them, but, but they could ask whatever questions they wanted to. Um, and, and I actually saved some, I saved the email and some of the questions that were sent to me. And I, I mean, literally, like I'm seeing these questions thinking, I need to call in sick or something. But just some of these questions. What, what are some reasons you want children? Uh, what makes a young lady a good potential mother? I'm like, what in the world? How am I supposed to answer that? Um, is it true that you know when you know you're supposed to marry a particular person? I'm like, I don't know. Next question. Uh, should a man be dating if he has a fear of commitment and marriage? I'm like, I don't even talk about the C word or the M word. So, uh, and then do you or would you or have you pursued more than one woman at a time? Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, if, if so, how did that work out? Uh, the answer to that is no, I haven't and I wouldn't. And, uh, Anyways, uh, but I've never been so scared in my life. Like, seriously, uh, I can't remember the last time I was so nervous. I, I, I sat down in the chair. We were all at the front. And at one point, like, my heart was beating so fast. You always worry, like, your heart is beating so fast that people can see it. And so you, self-consciously, you look down to see if people can see it. I look down, and literally, my shirt is, is like, doing that. As I'm sit- no exaggeration, it's doing that. And I'm, I don't know why I had to stick my hand in my shirt to do that. But. <laughs> so I, I crossed my arms, like, because I was afraid they were going to see my heart beating I was so freaked out, so nervous. And so for an hour and a half, we sit there and we go through all these questions. They're asking questions. We're, we're responding. And uh, at the hour and a half mark, the moderator of this uh, panel says, all right, this would be a good time for halftime, uh, 10-minute break. I'm like, hour and a half, halftime? What the heck? Like, this is hour and a half. We're going to do like another hour and a half of this stuff. So we did three hours of this. And uh, it was intense. And every time I got a question, actually back up, did any of y'all see the Louisville basketball game this week where the guy broke his leg? Okay, I guess a few you did. What did you do when you saw that? <laughs> Some of you are like, yeah, I, just think about it now. Uh, JD, our, our sound guy, earlier he had a picture of it on his phone, a close-up, and he's chasing me around this place trying to get me to look at the picture. Uh, but I'll tell you, every time I see stuff like that, my body instinctively does two things. Uh, one, um, I quench my butt cheeks together. And then two, I hold my breath. And every time I got asked a question at this panel, that's exactly how I respond. I was, t- I was totally freaked out. And I share that with you to, to say this. I share that with you to say this. After spending all week buried in this text that we're studying this week, actually it's been two weeks because I was planning on teaching this last week and then we went rogue and, and studied the cross and I'm glad we did that. But the past two weeks of being, of being buried in this text, 
I feel like there is something fearfully absent from the way that we approach Jesus. Like we get so nervous and we get so anxious or freaked out, you know, when we're guys going to be in front of a panel of 30 women or girls going to be in front of a panel of 30 guys, or, or maybe you get freaked out to get up in front of people or, or guys, you have a crush on this girl, you see her and you quench your butt cheeks and hold your breath because you're freaked out or girls, maybe you do that. I don't know what, I don't know what you do when you get scared, but like we get freaked out in these certain situations for certain people or we're starstruck when we see a celebrity. But when it comes to Jesus, And entering into his presence, it's like we're not even phased at all. And I'm not saying that we should be terrified or we should be scared when we we come into worship or when we open up our Bibles to open up God's word, to hear what it's talking about Jesus. Or I'm not saying we should be terrified or scared when we pray to Jesus. But what I am saying is this. The closer we get to Jesus, the bigger that we realize he is. And the closer we get to Jesus, the less like him we realize we are. I mean, we so flippantly... I feel like approach Jesus through worship and prayer and Bible study because we've created our own versions of Jesus. And our own versions of Jesus are small in comparison to the real Jesus. And what we're going to see tonight is Paul's main point and what he's saying this week in Colossians 1, 15 through 23 is he's wanting the Colossians, he's essentially wanting us to see how big Jesus is. I mean, this is so important and here's why. Seeing the supremacy of Jesus allows us to grasp the sufficiency of Jesus. And and here's what I mean by that. If we don't understand who Jesus is, then we won't understand what he did and why we so desperately need him. One commentator, he said this, Jesus is a sufficient savior because he is a supreme Lord. If our Jesus is small, then our gospel is gonna be small. If our Jesus is insufficient, then our gospel is gonna be insufficient. You remember last week, Paul prefaces or sets up the whole letter. Uh, the, first, the first part of chapter one, I know, uh, I guess it's two weeks ago, so it's hard to remember, but two weeks ago he sets up the letter and essentially what he says is, my, my reason in writing this letter and my prayer for you in writing this letter is, is that you would grow in your knowledge of the gospel, that you would be empowered by the gospel so that you can live a life worthy of Jesus. And, and there's something big that I feel like we saw that first week and that's, uh, that, that's that when we hear and we understand and receive the gospel, it changes us. But the problem is, Most of us, we treat the gospel as if it's something that affects our past and our future, but not our present. And the fact that we treat the gospel that way reveals something huge about the gospel that we're holding onto. If that's how we treat the gospel, then the gospel that we're holding onto is incomplete, and the Jesus that we know is is not the real Jesus of the Bible. It's way smaller than the real Jesus of the Bible. And so Paul wants us to see how big Jesus is, and he wants us to, or I want us to see how big Jesus is. So, so here we go, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Every, is everybody there? If you're there, say, got it. All right, here we go. Verse 15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the, bo- he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to, to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now this passage, I'll just be honest with you, is one of the most intimidating passages to me when it comes to teaching. 
I've never taught this before. This summer in a Bible study I was leading with guys, we kind of went through it, but I, I, I skipped, not skipped over it, but breezed through it quick because I was honestly scared to dive in and dig in and try and unpack this. And so tonight my, my hope is that we can chop this up a little bit into some consumable bits and pieces. But, but just from reading it that first time, something or a couple things really should have popped off the page and basically like slapped you in the face. I mean, you should have noticed some stuff. First, first thing you should have noticed is all of the he, him, and his pronouns. Did you notice those? Uh, I'm going to read this again, okay? And I want you to notice this. And, and actually, we're about to read through this entire text three times, so just bear with me, bear with it, get, get used to it, it's good. Um, but I want you to listen for all of these pronouns. In fact, get a pen out. If you have a pen, get a pen out. And I want you, if, if you're not against it, underline or circle or something these pronouns, because this is big. Listen to this. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him... All things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Twelve times we see these pronouns in there. And every single time, who's it referring to? Jesus. Four times Paul writes, he is, Jesus is, Jesus is, Jesus is, Jesus is. And essentially what we can do now is we can go back through and we can replace each of those pronouns with the name of Jesus. And listen to how it changes this text. Go back and and let's read it again. It says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And Jesus is before all things. And in Jesus, all things hold together. And Jesus is the head of the body of the church. Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, that in everything Jesus might be preeminent. For in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of Jesus' cross. Another thing I want you to notice. There should be another word that pops off the page when you read this. Anybody want to take a guess of another word that is in here? A bunch. Okay, ease is in there. All. All is in there seven times. And five times it says all things. Five times, or seven times we see the word all. Five times we see the all things. Uh, I'll just breeze through it really quick again. He's the image of the invisible God, firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created. Skip down. All things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. And you skip over verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things. And this word all, it's a blanket statement, or these are blanket statements. I don't know, I, I remember for me studying for the SAT and the ACT tests, I had to get this like computer program to help me study, and it taught me little tricks, you know, for, for questions on the test that I didn't know answers to, specifically multiple choice questions. I remember one of the first things it tells us is if you don't know the answer to the question, which was usually me, uh, some tips on how to logically uh, eliminate certain answers. And one of the first things it says is eliminate blanket statements, statements that use the word all or none or never or always, because those words, those adjectives can be used to describe so few things. 
And blanket statements, they're, they're big and they're bold statements. Yet this is how Paul describes Jesus over and over and over. I bring your attention to those things here at the beginning because we're going to come back to it at the end. But ultimately, it's going to guide us throughout this entire study. So, so look at verse 15. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. This verse we'll unpack a little bit more when we get to verses 18 and 19 because it will make more sense then. So go to verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Okay, tonight I'm using the point system, so I've got six points for you. I know that's totally contrary to the way I normally teach, but I've got six points, and here's point number one. You ready? It's this. Jesus is the only reason you're breathing right now. Some of you are thinking, I know, it's really hot in here, uh, and it is, by the grace of God, we're still alive. Jesus is the only reason you're breathing right now. You're breathing because Jesus is enabling you to breathe. There's so much about the human body that I'm clueless about, uh, but this week I was watching uh, part of a documentary on food, and basically the gist of the documentary was this, uh, don't eat fast food or processed food unless you want to die. But at some point in the documentary, what it, what it was talking about was how so much fast food, pretty much all fast food and processed food, which is kind of one and the same, I guess, it has these <clears throat> ingredients or these chemicals in it that tricks our bodies into thinking that we're full when really we are not getting the nutrition that we need at all. Now, you're kind of looking at me like, duh, obviously. Well, I didn't know, you know some of this stuff, okay? So, that, that's, but there's one quote at one point in there that, that really caught my, my attention. It said something to the effect of, we're full at a stomach level, but starving at a cellular level. We're full at a stomach level, but starving at a cellular level. Now, I'm sure a lot of you are seeing how we could take this and look at this spiritually in some big ways, and we could. I'm not going to take it where you probably think I'm taking this. Uh, but when I heard that statement, literally, because I'd never thought about it like that before, my mind starts to think about my poor little cells in my body. Like I start thinking about these poor cells with these bulging eyes and these skinny little stomachs who are just crying and weeping out, begging for food because I'm starving them literally as I'm sitting there watching this documentary, eating a frozen pot pie because that's like my, my guilt, pleasure food, whatever. But I'm, I'm eating this and I felt ashamed for neglecting my poor little cells because I never thought about it like that. I always thought about the food is filling up my stomach. It's feeding, nourishing my stomach. But the reality is it's nourishing my cells. And, and I share that with you. The point of that is there's so many intricately woven, delicate yet durable little pieces that all work together to make our bodies work. And Jesus is the one who created every single one of those pieces. And Jesus is the one, he's like the glue that's holding all of those pieces together. But there's also all these external things that affect your body. Things that are visible to the naked eye, things like plants, animals, um, things like weather, things like food, water. External things that are visible to the naked eye that affect our body, but there's also things that are not visible to the naked eye, things that are too big for the naked eye to see, like, like the, the perfect placement and rotation of the earth inside the solar system, and the perfect placement of our solar system within this galaxy, and the perfect placement of our galaxy within this universe. All of those things are affecting your life. Too big for the naked eye to see. Then there's things that are too small for the naked eye to see, like microorganisms. Is that real? Yeah, microorganisms. I don't know. (laughs) Oxygen. Carbon dioxide. uh, Atoms. Protons. Neutrons. Crazy little electrons. All these little things affect us. And, And I'm saying this because Jesus created all of that. 
And Jesus is holding all of it together in such a way that it's all working together and enabling you to breathe as we speak. Jesus is the only reason you're breathing right now. And I just want to be candid with you tonight. Uh, there, there was a point where I really struggled with this as a pastor in ministry. I, I will never forget five years ago, about five years ago, I was going through a rough time just in believing. And one of my students, his brother, uh, who I didn't know, older brother, uh, just one day out of the blue goes into a coma and quickly into a vegetative state. All in one day, to this day, I don't think they know what happened to cause this. But he goes into this vegetative state. We get a call about it. He's, he's rushed to the ICU um, at one of the Lubbock hospitals. And I remember going and, and, and immediately, like, I mean, he, he digressed so fast that, that he's on life support by the time we get there. And they have done all these extremely violent tests to his body just to see if there's any brain activity. And there's nothing. And they brought his family in and said, look, he is, he's a vegetable. Like, he's not going to come out of this. And so it's, it's, I mean, you basically, you just have to decide how long you want to keep, keep your son alive. And I remember standing out in the hallway of this ICU with these pastors and, and doing what pastors do with family and friends during a situation like that. What do you do? You, you encourage them. You try to speak truth into their life. Like, listen, Jesus is in control of all of this. And he's good. And he can give life. He can take life away. We have to trust Jesus. And then praying for these people, hugging these people, loving on these people. And I remember one point in the night walking down to the end of the hallway and just leaning up against the wall and kind of just slowly sliding down the wall to where I'm sitting down on the ground. And beginning this conversation with God, it was one of the low points for me. And just saying, God, I, I have believed for so long that you're the reason I have breath right now. God, I've believed so long. Jesus, I've believed for so long that you're the one who gives life and, and, and takes away life and it sustains life. And I've believed for so long that you can heal and pray for healing. But God, it seems like you never do. And I'm not sure I believe anymore. And that was the extent of that conversation. The next morning, Zach, my student, whose brother was in the hospital, he calls me. And he says, dude, my brother is awake. He's walking around the hospital and he's telling people jokes. <laughs> and I think my response was something like, speechless. Because there was absolutely no life to be had for this guy. And he is fine today. Jesus is the only one or the only reason that you're breathing right now. Verse 18, actually verse 17, it says, and he's before all things, and in him all things hold together. Verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. Point number two, Jesus is the leader of the church. Jesus is the leader of the church, not me, not Dr. Jeff, not the pastor of whatever church you might go to, not the crazy old lady who's been in the church for 95 years and freaks out if anybody sits in her seat. Not the rich people who are given the majority of the money to the church. Not the people who identify themselves as the right-wing fundamentalists or the people who identify themselves as the left-wing liberals. Jesus is the leader of the church. And if we don't follow his leadership, it's about as effective as, as body parts moving without a brain. Like there's, there's, there'll be no unity of purpose. 
There'll be no coordination, and a lot of crap's going to get broken. Uh, it's, it's about as awesome and disgusting and ugly as a white person trying to do the Dougie. It's bad. <laughs> why do you think there's so, so little unity? Why do you think there's so little unity among different churches? I'll tell you what I think the answer to this is. I think it's because churchgoers put too much hope in their pastors and not enough, not enough hope in Jesus. I think it's because churchgoers get too excited about their pastors, but don't get excited enough about Jesus. Pastors, they, they we, we're not your savior. They're not your hero. Jesus is. Four times in Colossians, Paul says he is. Jesus is. Jesus is. Jesus is. Why do you think pastors struggle so much with anxiety and depression? It's because you put so much pressure on them and you do so little praying for them. You treat them like they're your savior. You treat them like something that they absolutely cannot deliver on for you. And when they fail, you complain or you fight or you just leave. And this doesn't work. The church, it doesn't work unless we all realize that Jesus is the leader of the church. That's point number two. Verse 18 says, and he is the head of the body, the church. Then it says, he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Point number three is, Jesus is more important than you. Point number three is, Jesus is more important than you. My sister and I uh, were born on the exact same day, three years apart. For the people who are going to come up to me afterwards and say, oh, that's so cool, you're a twin. Okay, we were born on the exact same day, three years apart. We're not twins. Um, (laughs) The first time my sister... Ever, some of y'all are like, I don't get it. What? Uh, you're still going to come up to me and be like, that's so cool, you're a twin, whatever. Uh, the first time my sister ever met me or saw me, uh, experienced that which is me, uh, was right after I was born. You know, they take you and put you in that little incubator and then put you in that room where there's that big window in the hallway and they like parade you on or put you on display for all the, everybody's mom and dad and brother and sister and dog and whatever else is out in the hallway to see. It's, there's got to be something illegal and wrong about that, but... That's the first time I ever, my sister ever saw me, and I think it was my uncle. She holds her up to the window, and literally, on her third birthday, my sister turns to my uncle and says, she says, this is the worst and ugliest birthday present I've ever received in my life. <laughs> Don't clap at that. Uh, she still feels the same way today, uh, I, I'm pretty sure. But uh, anyways, in her defense and in my defense, that was not my best day. In fact, I can't remember, uh, I don't think I've, ever been as mad as I was on that day. I don't remember a time that I've been as mad as I was in that moment. I think about it like everything I'd ever known my entire life had suddenly been ripped away from me. Like I, I, ha- I was used to having per- privacy and uninterrupted sleep. Get to sleep all I, all I wanted. I'm, I'm floating in this ball of liquid. It's like living in anti-gravity, which is awesome. Think about that. I've got like always buffet. Not, I don't have to work to eat through my mouth. It's just, it's just hooked straight up to my belly button. <laughs> And I'm naked. Like, what else could a guy ask for? And suddenly, all of this is just, without my consent, ripped away from me. And now I'm laying on this hard bed inside this glass cage with this heat lamp tanning me from above. And I've been wrapped up in this towel. My nakedness has been stripped away from me. Uh, ironically, stripped away. My nakedness stripped away. And, and I'm hungry, and my belly button hurts. So I'm mad first time my sister ever, ever saw me. But, but it's the worst having the same birthday as, as 
your sibling and being the younger of the two because the older sibling, my older sister always got, she always had first dibs on everything. She always got priority. And so when it came to celebrating our birthdays, she always got to decide when she would have her birthday party. So typically her birthday party was on our birthday weekend. So I had to choose like the weekend after or the weekend before. And so every birthday growing up, I pretty much celebrated with her having a bunch of her girlfriends over for a slumber party, doing tie-dye shirts because that was cool in 1991, and then doing dance routines to Vanilla Ice or New Kids on the Block, whatever was popular uh, at the time. Uh, I made up for it for having guys over the next weekend and having Nerf gun wars, uh, playing a lot of Legos, eating pizza-flavored potato chips that totally went out of style quick, and then watching Nolan Ryan highlight videos. Um, But the point is this. Because my sister is older and the firstborn in the family, she, she got more privileges. Like she, she got first dibs. I'm not bitter completely about that. But biblically speaking, biblically speaking, to be the firstborn was to be the most important. I was just reading yesterday, Exodus 13, where God tells the people, he says, I want you to set aside the firstborn, uh, whether they're animals or humans, I want you to set aside the firstborn for me. Because the firstborn was the most important. You see all throughout scripture how God says, set aside or dedicate the first fruits of your labor to me. To be the firstborn was to be the most important. So in verse 15, going back to verse 15 now, where it says, where it says that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, what that's saying is Jesus is the most important in all creation. And then verse 18 where it says, Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. Let me, let me clarify what that means or what, what that's saying is, to be from the dead, if you're, if you're part of the church, and I'm not talking about like you go to FBC or you go to another church in town, what I'm talking about is like you have been saved. You have put your faith in Christ. You've been born again, new life. That is what makes you part of the church, not showing up in attendance or signing a card, becoming a member. What makes you part of the church is being regenerated in your heart, being born again. So, so being born again, that means you've come from spiritual death to spiritual life. So for Jesus to be the firstborn from among the dead means that he is the most important in the church. So Jesus is the most important in all creation, and Jesus is the most important in the church. And look at what it says. Verse 16, it says, by him, all things were created. Without Jesus, creation doesn't exist. Physical life does not exist. Without Jesus, the church does not exist. Spiritual life does not exist. Verse 16, later in verse 16, it says, for for him, all things were created. Creation exists for Jesus. And the church exists for Jesus. Verse 17, it says, in him all things hold together. Creation is held together and sustained by Jesus. The church, it is held together and sustained by Jesus. Because Jesus is the most important in all creation. Jesus is the most important in all the church. Jesus is more important than you. And that's a hard pill for us to swallow because we live in a culture that is enslaved to consumerism. And consumerism is all about you. It's all about me. And in our culture, we've made worship all about us. We've made it all about our preference. We've made it all about our desire. We've made it all about what's convenient to us. And that's not worshiping Jesus. Scarily enough, that is worshiping yourself because that's seeing yourself as the most important thing and not realizing that Jesus is more important than you. Colossians 1.19 says, for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Point number four, Jesus is God. Listen to this again. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. 
And point number four is Jesus is God. There's three statements that Paul makes in Colossians that I want you to hear. Uh, Going back to verse 15, he says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Then you go here, verse 19, he says, for in Jesus all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Then you get to chapter 2, verse 9, and it says, for in Jesus the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. The word fullness in Greek is the word pleroma. Everybody say pleroma. It also means or also could be translated as completeness. Or, this one was interesting to me and really helps me understand what's, what's being said here. It could be translated as contents, like the contents of something. And I, I tried really hard to think about an example that would help us understand what this is saying when it says, for God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Jesus. And this is going to be a terrible illustration. I'll show you why in a second. But I think using it in, in anyways will still help us understand what this is meaning, okay? Uh, I've, this is a bottle of water. This is an empty cup, and I'm not going to do a magic trick. I wish I could, but I'm not. Here, here's, I think, a decent example to sort of explain this. If this water bottle is God, then the water inside is the essence of God. It's who God is, okay? So, like, God is love, mercy. God is gracious. He is grace. God is life. He's the creator He's omniscient. You know what that means? Like he knows everything. He's so stinking wise. God is all-powerful. He's sovereign. Um, God has the knowledge of what he wants to do in the future. He, he's everywhere. He's, he's omnipresent. Um, God is forgiving. Like there's all these things of who God is. And that's the water. That's the essence of who he is. And so for all of the fullness of God to dwell in Jesus, what that means is this cup is Jesus and all that water goes into Jesus and there's nothing left. Like, there's not anything left in here. I drank some before I can. That's why it's not totally full. There's nothing left in here. It's not like he poured some in and left some out. Now, here's why this is an absolutely terrible illustration. It's a terrible illustration because simultaneously God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit exist and simultaneously they're all God Um, yet separate, yet also they're all singular, they're all one. It's the Trinity. Now, that's a whole other conversation. So, (laughs) The point of what this is all getting at, what Paul's saying is, God left nothing of himself out of Jesus. Wow, I do not think that cup was clean. (laughs) I grabbed that out of the kitchen. That's gross. God left nothing of himself out. When, when, when God sent Jesus, he left nothing of himself out. One commentator said, God does not possess anything beyond Jesus to give to his people. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Jesus. This is said about no other person in history. Jesus is God. You want to know God? Know Jesus. You want to see God? Look at Jesus. You want to hear God? Listen to Jesus. You want to meet God? Meet Jesus. You want to reject God? Reject Jesus. Because Jesus is God. All right, verse 20. Actually, read verse 19 because it's all one sentence. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Point number five. There is no reconciliation without Jesus. 
Another way to read this verse, since it's part of, since it's part of the first verse, and it's kind of phrased in a weird way, uh, you could also read it this way. And through Jesus, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now I want to go ahead and read forward verses 21 through 23 and tie it all together here. Verse 21 says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I want to show you a video. As they're queuing this video up, I want to show you this video, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll preface it by saying this. This is from this past summer. I took a group of students uh, with me to Zimbabwe, and we flew into Harare, the capital city, and stayed overnight in Harare, and then from there, we got into a little eight-seater airplane. Hey, pause the video, pause the video, pause the video. Pause it. Okay. Uh, so we got in this little eight-seater airplane. Um, I'm riding co-pilot because heavy people have to sit in the front, and I'm always the heaviest. So I'm riding co-pilot, and I, I, I just got my camera out, set it on the dashboard. And what we're doing, what you're seeing right here is we've already, we, we had to make four passes on this runway. Um, you'll see from the video, we're out in the middle of, like, nowhere. Um, we had to make four passes on this runway to clear the animals off the runway. I know, it's pretty stinking cool. We get there, and there's a bunch of elephants. Uh, there were water buffalo and impala, not a car. It's actually an a African deer. And then there were zebras in the area as well. So we, we made these low passes to clear animals off the runway. So now you can show the video. That's what's happening. This is our second pass. What we're flying over right here is Lake Kariba, okay? And, and he's going to keep showing the video, keep showing the video. You're, you're seeing Lake Kariba, and we're, we're going to turn around, make two more passes. I'm not going to show you the whole thing, but in a second, when the, when the plane turns back the other direction, you're going to be looking at Zambia. We're flying over Zimbabwe, but you're going to be looking at Zambia. Pause it. Uh, keep it going, keep it going, keep it going, keep it going. <laughs> Tricked you. Just see if you're paying attention. Off in the distance, you see that shadow? That's Zambia. Okay, pause it right there. Okay, leave that up there. So you can kind of, can you see that shadow like in the, on the side of the screen? That's the mountains in Zambia. It's hard to see, but it's so far off in the distance. And, and basically where we are right now, uh, flying almost horizontally or whatever over Lake Kariba, that was kind of creepy. Uh, lake Kariba is the largest man-made lake in the world. And it's part of the Zambezi River system. And the Zambezi River, which is also where Victoria Falls is, the largest um, waterfall in the world. Uh, the Zambezi River forms part of the border between Zimbabwe and Zambia. Okay, so here's what I want you to see. The people that we went there to work with were a, a remote tribe, obviously, who had been uh, about 50, 60 years ago separated from their family and ancestors that were in Zambia. But in 19, between 1958 and 1963, they dammed up this river and formed Lake Kariba, and the lake is so huge that now these, these people that are in Zimbabwe on the border have been alienated from their family 
on the other side of the lake, and they do not have the means to get across the lake because it's so huge and they're so remote, they don't have the technology or the money or the ability to do that. Now, I share that with you because of this. Sin is so much just like this lake. That was a terrible sentence. Sin is just like this lake. Sin is just like this lake. It has alienated us from God, and we don't have the means to cross the lake. But Jesus has reconciled us back to God by building a bridge by the blood of his cross. And like it says in verse 23, if we place our faith, true faith, in the true gospel, we will be recipients of this reconciliation because crossing that lake without Jesus is impossible. Point number five, there's no reconciliation without Jesus. What I want you to see in this text tonight is Paul shows us so clearly that Jesus is supreme in creation and Jesus is supreme in the church. And because Jesus is supreme in creation and supreme in the church, he is sufficient in who he is. And because he's sufficient in who he is, he is sufficient in what he's done. And you remember all those things we looked at at the beginning, the, the, the he, the him, and the his pronouns, 12 of them, and the seven times that Paul uses the word all. When you study scripture, you need to pay attention to repetition of words because usually when the author uses repetition of words, he's doing so to make an emphasis. And what Paul's trying to emphasize here is simple. This is point number six. It is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. All of the activity of God in creating the world and in visiting and redeeming his people has been done in and through Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is the only reason you're breathing right now. Jesus is the leader of the church. Jesus is more important than you. Jesus is God. There's no reconciliation without Jesus because it's all about Jesus. And you can either accept Jesus or you can reject Jesus. You can either live to make Jesus famous or you can live to try and steal Jesus' rightful fame. And some of you tonight need to accept Jesus. Others of you tonight need to repent of the sin of trying to steal Jesus' fame. But it all comes back to what Paul's prayer is and what my prayer is, what our prayer is in studying this, and that is that, that we would grow in the knowledge of the gospel, that we would be empowered by the gospel so that we can live lives worthy of Jesus. And it's so cool that Paul goes straight in after saying that's his prayer and intention in this letter to talking about Jesus. Because you can't grow in your knowledge of the gospel. And you can't be empowered by the gospel apart from Jesus. Let's pray.